This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Here are your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. The New York Red Bulls are 1-6 with a negative 10 goal differential after two losses on the West Coast. And they have a much-improved Orlando squad coming into Red Bull Arena this Sunday on national television. It's Seeing Red. Mark Fishkin here with Eric Giacometti. And, um, well, there's very really no way to sugarcoat this. The Red Bulls, as of right now, are the worst team in MLS. They are in the wooden spoon position. They are dead last in points out of 20 MLS teams. And um, they are dumbfounded and confused as how they're going to get better. But I think when you, you, you think about what they're going through, there are things they're doing right and there are things they're doing wrong. And if they can fix the things that are going wrong, I think things will get better. Um, we're going to get into each of the games. We'll talk give our bull and cow of the week. We will preview Orlando City coming into Red Bulls, as we said. Red Bull Arena Sunday night, 7.30, also on FS1. We have a terrific interview with the young Red Bull that made his first 90-minute appearance for the team, and that's midfielder forward Alex Mule, who's a very, very insightful chat, getting to know him, and then, of course, your emails tonight. Um, if you are a new fan of this team, meaning if you if you started your Red Bull fandom in 2010, when the team moved to Red Bull Arena, this is completely new to you because the Red Bulls have not had a start this bad uh, for some time. And looking up at the entire league, you have to go back to 2009 and then back to 1999, the two kind of naders in club history. But Eric, um, let's talk about these two games and let's talk about what the team can possibly do to start to turn this around. Do we have to? I'm afraid we do, my friend. <laughs> well, it's kind of at a loss for words at this point. When you, when you look at the way that these games have gone on, it, it really feels like more of the so, more of the same. Where they're they're creating a, f- a few chances here and there. They're just going by the wayside, and then uh, just a couple of lapses in judgment, and they they find themselves down a goal or two. And it it seems like they're they're snake bit right now. Yes, they managed to get the one goal in Colorado. You think, okay, maybe they're going to be able to salvage a, a draw here, get a point, come back home with a little bit of momentum, and then that kind of that falls apart at the end. And you know, Jermaine Jones comes back in his first MLS game with the Rapids. It <laughs> happens to be against the Red Bulls, of course. He's been uh, one of the yes. many boogeymen that the Red Bulls seem to have, and uh, he hurts them in their very first game, playing in a different role, uh, playing a little more advanced as a pseudo number ten. Uh, scores the first goal, and uh, you know Red Bulls fought pretty hard in that game. I think they they looked decent in spells, and in those snow games, it's kind of hard to to pick out too many positives, just because it's to be honest, there's not a lot of soccer going on. Uh, no. But you know they, they just couldn't grind out the result, and that's kind of been the story of their season, where they they haven't been able to take their chances, and uh, on a road trip where they are trying to bounce back and and get things back on track, they walk away with no points. Yeah, and again at the San Jose match. Um they control the the ball and the match the first 40 minutes, no doubt. They were the better team. Then a poor clearance in the box and a shot by Alash A that gets tipped two or three times in the box and winds up in, in Luis Robles's net. And then Wando with a flash in the second half. And that was kind of all she wrote. These games, in fact, are starting well for New York and, as you said, seem to be 
every lapse of attention they are having, they are being punished. And you know, going back to the Colorado game, they were four defenders in the corner on on two Colorado Rapids, and you think there's no way the ball's getting out of the corner. And, of course, the ball comes right across the mouth of goal to an unmarked Jermaine Jones in the box on a play that is baffling and embarrassing and frustrating. And there you go. And um, you can't say that this is certainly on Robles. You can look at the injuries that the Red Bulls have received, and they are significant, surely. Um, but the midfield play is not generating enough chances. And then you have to look at Bradley, who, I mean, someone remarked to me on Twitter that if he was only trying as hard as he was last year, I think he's fourth in the league in shots on goal. Yeah, right. No. It's, it's it's certainly not a matter of effort. I, I can tell you that. Uh, I mean, I, look, he's he's getting in the in the right spots. He's doing all the things that you'd expect a, a successful striker to do. He's creating a couple chances. He's he's getting decent service. Uh, he gets his one or two chances a game. And you know, not to harken back to the days of Thierry Henry, but he used to really get on Bradley uh, for not taking all of the chances that he had. He, his famous quote is, "He could have had you know forty or fifty goals or something like that just because he had so many chances and maybe converted half them." And it was still good enough for twenty-seven in that that miraculous right. year. Uh, yeah. But this time, it, it's really just not coming off for him. He's goalless uh, in 2016. He's had his chances. They just haven't been able to find the back of the net. And, and that's been the story. I mean, Jesse Marsh has even tried to switch things up. He uh, he gave Anatola Bong the start uh, in San Jose. San Jose. That didn't yep. pan out either. So they're really just pretty snake bitten for a goal. And of all people, someone coming back from injury, Ronald Zubar, gets the, the lone goal uh, in this road swing. But again, it wasn't enough. He picked up the goal and then picked up another ding late in the game. Is he uh, was that a serious uh, knock that he took? Is he back training? Yeah, he was back training today. Uh, Carl, we met who also uh, went down with injury and, and was subbed off of that game. I just spoke with Jesse Marsh today. He will be back. Uh, he was training in full today. He looked fine. So uh, that's the, the I guess one of the positives you can take away. Uh, from from these matches is that they're getting healthier slowly but surely. Some of these guys that have been missing and the Red Bulls have really needed are getting back into the fold. Uh, reinforcements are on the way. So uh, I, I kind of joked with Jesse that what, was it nice to be able to play with two natural center backs uh, in Colorado because <laughs> it's been the first time in a long time right, where you've had guys right. like Kamar Lawrence and, and Chris Duval and the sort kind of just patching it together to try to figure something out. So uh, if if we met and Zubar can and kind of solidify that that middle of the defense, I think it'll go a long way if they can start limiting some chances. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about some of the new players that we saw over the two game stretch out west. We got to see Tyler Adams make his uh, first team first start, uh, and then uh, Alex Mule got to play the entire ninety minutes in Colorado. What, what did you think of their performances? Uh, I mean, I thought the young, the young guys were a real bright spot for the Red Bulls. They, we've talked so much about youth and homegrowns and and all of this throughout the off season and, and into the preseason, just because the Red Bulls really hadn't made any other moves besides these young guys, and they they kind of showed why they're you know why they had so much faith in this in these young kids because they really have the potential to make a difference right away and for someone as young as Tyler Adams only 17 to be that fearless to to get get <laughs> on the road get into the midfield and and really just and take over it's really impressive i mean it, it doesn't really surprise me considering i've i've seen him in preseason and he did very well there but playing in an mls game is a different beast entirely and Jesse Marsh himself even said that he would have liked to keep him in had they not conceded 
Uh, he probably right. would have left Tyler in there because he thought he was doing a good job. But uh, when you have someone like Sasha on the bench and you're down chasing a goal, uh, it's probably someone you're going to want to put on the field. And then you look at Alex Mueller, our guest this week. I, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, he has an incredible engine. He was up and down the flanks. He was creative. He's not afraid to get stuck in. Uh, these are all, all the things you want from a, a young, hungry attacker that's looking to make an impact. Yeah, and Shep Messing on the broadcast, of course, was very enamored with him. Very, very active. Uh, said he was the most engaged Red Bull and, and may have been the case uh, in that horrendous blizzard. And, uh, you know, perhaps if this was a conference game where you know that there's another chance to come back or another time, maybe that game gets postponed. I know that, that the Red Bulls really wanted to get that game in. I know from speaking with the Red Bull fans who were out there that the roads were pretty treacherous and um, it made for great uh, television, right, because you've got these guys playing with the orange ball. It certainly took away from the actual soccer being played, um, that's for sure. But, yeah... Again, it's it's both thirds of the field that seem to be the Red Bulls' Achilles' heels right now. They just can't get the ball in the net, and when that happens, uh, they're giving up the first goal, and then they're pressing and they're opening themselves up to counterattacks, and they're conceding goals on counterattacks. And uh, we saw from Dominic Baji, Boston University product, getting his uh, goal, the second goal, and, and could have had another one. He hit the post on a, really a, a almost identical play um, for Colorado for a rejuvenated Colorado team. The team is definitely challenging themselves because they know it it can be better, they know it has been better, and it just has to be better. Um, an interesting debate on social media, is this team terrible, or are they just playing poorly? Because when you think about the actual players on the field, they are, by and large, the exact same people that won the Supporters' Shield uh, six months ago. So for me, the notion of being a terrible team may not be the case. They are certainly at times playing terribly, and the results have definitely been terrible. Uh, do you have a hot take on this? I, I don't. I'm very anti-hot take. I don't know if, uh, if, that, <laughs> if that stance has been out there, but I'm very anti-hot take. What I will say is this. When, when you look at a, a team and a collection of players, as you said, this is very much the same team that lifted the supporter shield. So no, I don't think they're terrible. That being said... You are what your record says you are. So when yeah. you have one win through seven matches, that's very far from stellar. So you, you have to call it as it is. I, I don't think this team is terrible. Are they a terrible stretch? Absolutely. Are they playing poorly? Without a doubt. But I don't think this team is terrible, uh, per se. I, I understand why a lot of people are, are quick to jump to you know that kind of uh, dramatization because well, there really hasn't been a whole lot to, to talk about in a positive light. About, so yeah. it's it's easy to you know to get on that bandwagon. I I know it sounds like uh, we're beating the the dead horse here, but it, it really is I think just a matter of a, a couple chances bouncing here or there, and the floodgates will open. That being said, it needs to happen. It is, it's no longer. Yes. Oh well, it's early in the season. It has to happen. There's, there's, yeah. there's no more time to waste. So, luckily, the East is still pretty wide open. So, there's a chance for them to reclaim uh, their form and, and bounce back. But it has to happen right away. To say that the East is not very good, I think, is a massive understatement. The Red Bulls, again, tenth in the East and twentieth in MLS, but a win against Orlando 
can pull them above the, well, not on goal differential, but it can pull them to the line. So as much as we all uh, are unhappy about this start, and it's, there's there's very little to be happy about here, folks. Let's let's be perfectly honest, and um, I don't want to give the impression that we're sugarcoating things. The team is not getting the job done. But the great thing about MLS, or an, an opposing view might be the, the poor thing about MLS, is that it's not too late. And uh, with a couple of good performances back-to-back, this team will be right up towards the top of the conference. It really won't take that much right now. So um, that's something to hang your hat on. All right, so bull and cow uh, for the two games. For me, absolutely the traveling Red Bull support, without a doubt, especially in the, in the Colorado game, making the trip out there. They were out there, right? And... You know, in February, it was 70 degrees there, and this is the weather in Colorado where they get a blizzard with nine inches of snow in the hours leading up to the match, and the Red Bull supporters who were there uh, were loud and proud through the entire match. Um, Sasha came over after the game and apologized to them for the performance of the team, uh, but traveling fandom... uh, just there's there there isn't enough that can be said about your unwavering support of the club. Just absolutely fantastic. And then, I mean, it, it's hard not to give a cow to the entire or to everything, everyone that's playing. Yes, there are some individual strong performances. Um, Bradley has to score the goals when you're one and six. There's very very few people on this team that deserve shining light. So let's just call a herd of cows on everything that's happening right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's not happening. And and again, as you said, Eric, they just have to convert their chances they just have to shut down uh in the back and it until then it's just a massive herd of cows so to everyone i do want to give a special shout out to friend of the show and longtime guest on the show and that's Luis robles who became the all-time mls 90 minute iron man in colorado which is 113th consecutive uh, 90-minute appearance for the club, breaking the record held by former Red Bull, but mostly Dallas and L.A. keeper Kevin Hartman. Um, congratulations to Luis. It, he, he is a fantastic guy and deserves this honor, and uh, I hope this record uh, does not end anytime soon, and I'm sure he doesn't either. So um, did you have updates on – you had mentioned that, that reserves are coming back. Do you have updates on Verone or Ba and their fitness? Well, both of them – trained on their own today today's wednesday at training so they were off on the side now with the first team doing a bit of individual work uh, marsh declined to say whether they would be ready uh, for this weekend i tend to doubt that they will uh, just given the nature of their injuries and and the fact that he really lamented uh verone coming back a little bit too soon and re-injuring that hamstring so their day-to-day as he calls it i wouldn't expect them to be playing a part uh, this coming weekend at Red Bull Arena, but I think they're very close. I th- think they're they're just on the fringe of contention to get back in the starting lineup. Uh, so the two huge additions, you can get Gideon Ba back in the center of the defense, you can get Gonzalo Verón back on the wing or, or back up top to really inject some life into this attack that we mentioned has been very lifeless. Uh, it, would be, it would be a huge addition, so getting them back is uh, priority number one for the Red Bulls. Do you have a Perinel update? Uh, I didn't see Damien today. Uh, Jesse said that he's progressing nicely. I, I don't have an exact timetable for when he'll be back, 
but uh, I know that he's continuing to do individual work himself. I've seen him doing ball work, so it's good to see him back on the field. I didn't see him on the field today, uh, but I know that he is he is working his way back. I don't want to put a, a date on it so that uh, nope. no one holds me to it, but he, he's coming right. back sooner, sooner rather than later. Okay. Let's talk about this week's opponent, and that's the Orlando City Soccer Club. The Lions, as they are called, are 2-1-3 on the year, good enough for third in the East and eighth in the league. They lead the Week Eastern Conference with 11 goals scored in six matches, and they've conceded eight. Um, They've only played twice on the road so far. They did win in the Bronx on March 18th, and then they lost at Philly on April 8th. The last time uh, Orlando played, they had this bizarre 2-2 draw with the Revs in the Citrus Bowl, where two goals were scored after the 90th minute, once by each team. Kaká scored the fastest penalty kick in MLS history. In the second minute of the match, uh, Orlando was outshot by New England as well as outpossessed. Uh, Kyle Laren is their leading scorer. I believe he's injured and may not play. Julio Baptista is going to get the, got the start. Excuse me, last uh, week for Orlando. Of course, any mention of the Lions, you have to talk about Kaká. Two goals and two assists on the season. Uh, Kevin Molino, who is a USL Orlando player, two goals and two assists as he returns from injury. Breck Shea, of course, had that fantastic curling shot. Also, to keep in mind, Antonio Nocerino. 31-year-old vet of Juve and AC Milan uh, is playing at D-mid. He's suspended for the match, so we're not going to see him um, this week. Uh, Joe Bendick, former Toronto, playing in net recently. Kevin Alston, former Rev, has found new life there. Darren Saren, uh, also D-mid, um, and Rivas as well. So, all time, New York is only 1-1 one one against Orlando. And last year, if you recall, we had uh, the awesome Sasha goal from distance in a 2-0 win for New York in Orlando. And then Orlando and Kyle Lahren flipped the script uh, on New York with his first hat trick on the way to Rookie of the Year honors, a 5-2 win for Orlando in Red Bull Arena. So Orlando is undefeated all time in MLS and Red Bull Arena. So thoughts on... Um, Orlando, a tricky team that is improving, certainly, and you have to say in their second season, they're definitely a threat to make the playoffs. Oh, this is a dangerous team. This is a team that uh, maybe not a lot of people would have picked as uh, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, but at the same time, a lot of people picked the Red Bulls and Columbus Crew to be near the top, and we all know how that's going. So uh, you you just look at they're they're littered with talent throughout their lineup. I I do think Kyle Lahren will be playing in this game. Uh, He made a return. Uh, a cameo appearance off the off the bench against New England, I believe, on the 17th. So I think he should be fit and ready to go. They'll be missing Antonio Nocherino, as you mentioned. Uh, but, you know, obviously you talk about Kyle Lair and you talk about Kaká, uh, a very dynamic duo right up in the center of that team. Uh, Kaká is kind of the guy that pulls the strings. He's done it at AC Milan. He's done it at Real Madrid. And I, I spoke with Carl. We met about Kyle Lahren, who are teammates uh, with the Canadian national team. And he he basically listed all of his attributes with a, a mile-long list. He's a strong guy. He's fast. <laughs> he's good in the air. He can strike a ball. He's someone they're really going to have to look out for. And for a team that's that's had their troubles, even at home, uh, keeping teams off the board, uh, this is going to be a tall task. You'd think at Red Bull Arena, where they've typically been a very strong team, you'd give them the edge. But uh, it's been pretty shaky already. Two losses out of three at Red Bull Arena. So they're going to have to keep their eyes open. So let's go right to prediction time. What do you think uh, we're going to see Sunday night, 7.30 kick? I, I think the actual kick, because Fox Sports does a, um, 
there's a pregame show is late. It's going to be 7.48 kickoff. And uh, I know that's tough on a school night. This is uh, what it is, especially when you're talking about being on national TV. So your thoughts on what we might see after the match uh, on Sunday. Well, I don't think I've gotten a single prediction correct yet. So, Well, then that means you're you're growing in your stature <laughs> to seeing red coats. Let me see if I can hit him with the reverse jinx. I'll go with 2-1 uh-huh. Orlando. I don't think uh-huh. I don't think I've predicted a loss yet. Yet they've lost mm-hmm. 6 of 7. So, I'm going to go with a loss. See if they if they lose, I'm a genius. Otherwise, yeah. I get the reverse jinx and we're back on track. So, can't I, go wrong. I see what you're doing there. Very good. Uh, I'm going to call it. Uh, I'm going to call it another two-two draw. I think I, I, Bradley's got to score, man. It's. I mean, come on. So, I'm going to call it a two-two draw. I think perhaps New York concedes late. They'll be happy to get a point. Um, I'm hoping it's loud and proud, so that's uh, that's my prediction. Um, hey, if you've yet to buy tickets for Saturday night's game, the Red Bulls are supporting Wings for Life, uh, which is a charity focused on spinal cord injury. It's Wings for Life night, and if you haven't purchased your tickets for Sunday night, please use promo code WFL16 when purchasing your tickets, and a portion of the sale will be donated toward this very, very important charity. At least 250,000 uh, spinal cord injuries every year, and Wings for Life aims to help turn that around. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to have, for the first time on this here show, 20-year-old midfield forward, homegrown player for the Red Bulls. That's Alex Mule. We'll step away, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Sack Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti, one in six Red Bulls, hoping to improve this week, and we are very, very pleased to have for the first time on Seeing Red, 20-year-old Alex Mule, who signed a homegrown contract with the Red Bulls on December 22nd of last year, but Mule is no stranger to the team joining the Red Bulls Academy in 2010 and led the Red Bull U18 team to a national title in 2013. Alex made his debut with the uh, with first team on April 9th against KC and then turned in a 90-minute performance in the snow at Colorado last Saturday. A native New Yorker, Alex Mule, welcome to Seeing Red. Hey, thanks for having me. We're very, very pleased you can join us. Alex, share your thoughts on your first MLS start in the blizzard. You were extremely active in the match. Uh, talk to us about the experience of getting your, your first start and, and maybe um, some thoughts on your performance. Um, well, obviously, it was, a pretty, uh, it was a pretty unforgettable way to get my first start. You know, obviously, you're always going to remember your first time, but in those conditions, it was, uh, it was definitely a story I'll be telling for a long time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, basically I, I knew the day before that I was, that I was going to be in the, in the starting lineup. So, you know, I had, I had a little bit of nerves and jitters leading up to the game and, and the day of the game. But I think that, uh, you know, once I stepped out on the field, I, I felt really comfortable. I knew I had, you know, 10 guys with me and on the field that I could trust and who believed in me. And I had, uh, you know, another set, uh, or eight guys on the bench who, who were going to, you know, have my back. So. I think that, that that really helped me just feel comfortable. And then I think that I, I was able to, to put in a pretty solid performance. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, afraid to, to be involved, and I think that's what was most important to me. 
Alex, when we were down in Florida for preseason, uh, while your teammates, a lot of the fellow homegrowns, were trying to get integrated with the system, you were actually out with a bit of an injury that, that kept you sidelined. You weren't able to participate for, I think, the whole uh, first stint that we were down there in Florida. Just talk to me about that experience and, and kind of coming along from, from that injury, working your way back, and now being a, a big part of the first team. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that was really hard for me. It was um, really frustrating, first of all, and it was it was kind of scary, you know. You know, I left school early, and and before preseason even started, I have an injury that's that's like probably the worst injury I've ever had. And so, yeah, for 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 a young player, I think that that can be really difficult. But all the older guys were really like helpful talking to me, and and, and Jesse and the training staff were really amazing. And uh, you know, they made me feel like, look, it's okay. You have a lot. It's a long season going to be all right and so yeah like sitting sitting around preseason and, and just doing rehab while everyone else was getting fit was was not easy mentally but I think that um everyone helped me make the best of the situation so ended up working Alex, out all right and yeah yeah Alex talk to us about that decision to leave school early I mean I know uh Brandon had made the decision as well a teammate of yours at Georgetown talk to us about what went into that decision uh to depart before the end of school and join the team um, I mean, I think it's something that that I definitely put a lot of thought into because school is something that's really important to me and my family, and and it definitely wasn't an easy decision because Georgetown is an amazing place. The team's amazing. The my teammates there, I love. The, the coaching staff were super helpful for me, and so it was definitely a tough decision. And and I actually had the opportunity to leave after my sophomore year as well, and and that time I decided not to 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 leave college, you know. Because it just didn't feel, it didn't feel like the right time. I wanted to get at least close to graduating because I think it's important to me that one day I do get my degree. So um, this time around, I just felt like I was coming off a really good season. The Red Bulls were also coming, you know, doing amazing in their season, and it just felt like with the new uh, philosophy of the team, it felt like a really good time for a young player to 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 go there and like learn a lot and and be a part of the team and and I felt very valued so it made the decision a lot easier than it than it was you know knowing that I was coming to a place where I was valued and where youth was really uh supported and encouraged to to flourish uh, you talk about Georgetown, one of the premier soccer programs in the country. Uh, you were, I think, you were part of that team that uh, that took down uh, Maryland, which is a uh, mile alma mater. So not too happy about that. But mm. tell me, tell me, <laughs> tell me what you, what what, uh, what that was like uh, in terms of playing in a program that's that's had so much success and and really prepared you for the for the next level. Um, I think it was it was really important for my development as a as a human. You know, being in college and being in. Um, you know, that, that environment, you know, I think that while the soccer definitely, like I, I developed like the soccer aspect, like technically, tactically, definitely physically, probably because I was 17 when I first went to college. But I think the biggest part was as a human, I learned how to, you know, um, become a more mature person, become the kind of teammate that I want to be. Cause I, I wasn't always the best teammate. I think when I first got to college and I think that, that, that kind of, that experience was really important to my growth as a person and my growth as a player. And then obviously being at a school with so much talent, like Georgetown, the level's good, you know, and I think that not everyone gets to, to be that lucky. You know, we had like five guys, I think, leave to go pro this year, and that's pretty unheard of. And uh, I think that I, I kind of maybe took it for granted, but it was definitely a great situation, and, and I'm really thankful for that time. 
Talk to us a little bit about NCAA soccer as a whole. I mean, as American soccer fans, as all our listeners are, they know the importance of college in the American sporting landscape. And yet, I think somehow a lot of times college soccer gets a little bit of a bad rap, especially when it comes to player development. So that's a great answer about maturing as a person, but I'm kind of curious about your views on college soccer in general. Um. I don't know. I have pretty mixed views. Like when I first got to college, it definitely it felt like a, a de- like a big difference from the kind of soccer that was in general being played. Then, like when I was in the academy or when I was a residency program, it was a lot more like direct in the beginning. It, it wasn't the kind of soccer that I was, you know, used to playing and I was very interested in playing. But I think that a I was really lucky being at Georgetown, where we we do value possession from the ball and we do value the process more than just like the end result but um i think that i don't know college is really it depends on the college soccer ncaa soccer it depends on the situation you're at i've been at schools where where people tell me that they feel like they're improving a lot technically and i could been to schools where i've talked to people at schools where they say that um all they do is like fitness and they don't like their coaches or whatever so i think it's really Mm. it's a mixed bag and it, it depends you know it depends on your situation really Switching gears back to the team you're currently on uh, with the Red Bulls, it's been a, a bit of a, a struggle so far this season, uh, coming out of the gates with uh, n- not the best of results to start the season. What do you attribute that to, and what's really the mood of the locker room? Because at training, it seems like you guys are, are pretty lively and upbeat, but what, what kind of goes on behind closed doors? How do you guys explain uh, this slow start that you've gotten off to? Um, I don't know. It's hard to really pinpoint, pinpoint anything, because I feel like a lot of the games – Almost every game that we've we've been in, we've uh, had the run of play. I think we've created a lot of chances. We've we've been uh, on the front foot for most of these games, and then something happens, and we end up going down a goal or going down a few goals. Obviously, the injuries hasn't been help, like helpful at all. But um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint anything. I think things are just really not going our way, and we haven't been, admittedly, we haven't always been the sharpest, and we haven't taken advantage of all our chances, but. I don't know. I think that we're playing good, uh, really well, and and I think that in the, in the locker room, that's that's the feeling. The sense is that yeah, we're playing well, and there's obviously we're really frustrated because the, the results just don't seem to be going our way. But I don't think anyone's giving up. Obviously, I don't think anyone's you know blowing it out of proportion. We know that it's just a poor start to the season, but that we're a very talented team, we're a very good team, and that you know once once we can start to you know get the results, then it's all going to come together. Alex, talk to us a little bit about uh, translating form from the training pitch to game day. Obviously, I mean, you saw you had a very short stint in your first MLS appearance, but up until then, it's just what you're showing on training. Talk to us about the differences and how you're able to um, gain the confidence of of Jesse and have him put you in the starting lineup. Um, I think, yeah, I think the way you train is, is really important in this team, uh, it's a meritocracy for sure. You know, if you're if you're playing well, I think that you're going to be able to um, to get the minutes. You know, and so I think that we train harder than any other team I've been a part of. Like we work we work harder than any team I've been a part of. We take it more seriously than any team I've ever been a part of. And I think that's the mentality of of the organization. And I think it's really important because it shows that you're trying to maximize every day and and, and get every get every last piece of um, you know. Of, of growth that you can get out of every session. And so I think that, that it's a good, especially for young players, you know, like, you know what you have to do if you want to get a shot, and that's just play well and work hard. 
And so uh, I think that's, you know, that's what I try aim to do every session. I think that's what, what everybody aims to do. You're one of several homegrowns within this roster. Uh, gives you a bit of a unique perspective going through the academy and, and now playing for the first team. But talk to us about uh, playing in, in New York City because a lot of the homegrown guys are actually Jersey-born and thereabouts. So what was that like uh, coming up in, in a big city like New York? Um, well, it's, I think it's a really special it's a special story for me, I think, to be able to play for my, my hometown, you know, and uh, I still live in New York City. I live at home and and I think that uh, I actually get a lot of a lot of stick from my from my teammates because I still don't know how to drive them. My road test is actually tomorrow. But, um, <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah, my road test is tomorrow. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm a little bit different than a, a lot of the guys on the team because I come from a, a pretty different place than them. But I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. The amount of support I've gotten from people from my community and people that I've grown up with is amazing. Like they're all so proud of me. And, and I think that I use that to, to motivate me. I want to do the best I can, you know, to show other little kids growing up in the city they can do the same. You played high school ball in the city before you moved to the academy? Uh, yeah, my freshman year I played just one season. And who did you play for? What was your, what was your, where did you go to high school? My high school was called Bard High School. Sure. It's like a public yeah. school in the, in the East Lower East Side. Very cool, very cool. So um, you've had time with the U-17s, U-18s. You got called in some U-20 camps, and you, you actually uh, – it was we, the U-23 camp. So talk to us about ambition and talk to us about your goals for the year with the team and then goals for Alex moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had some great experiences with the youth national teams, and I think they're, they've been really important for my, my growth as a, as a player and my development as a player. And, um, yeah, I don't know. My, my goals for this season are to, you know, play as much as I possibly can, uh, be as positive as I possibly can, help the team as much as possible, um, you know, make, just make it a successful season for the team. Because if the team does well, then it'll, then it'll you know, you can't have individual success without, without team success. And I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, I do whatever I can to help. Whether that means I don't play another minute, but I'm, I'm pushing people in training or I'm, uh, you know, being a good teammate to people who are who are out there on the field, and uh, and just in terms of my career, obviously, I want to have a, as as long a career as possible. I want to have as successful a career as possible. Um, you know, maybe one day playing Europe. I have a my father's French, so I have a European passport. That would be a dream of mine. But yeah, right now I'm just I'm just focusing day to day. Excellent. Well, Alex Mule wears number 19 for the New York Red Bulls. Alex, it's really been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit, and we'll definitely check in with you as the season winds on, and good luck. All right. Thank you, guys. It's I'll our pleasure. The, the road test goes. Oh, yes. Definitely let us know about your road test. All right. <laughs> We've got more Seeing Red coming up after this short break. Your emails are next. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back on Seeing Red, Mark and Eric. Um, so I was in San Francisco last week on a family vacation, and so if you've written Seeing Red saying, where's my stickers, that's uh, we've had a little sticker mailing hiatus. But if you have received stickers, do us a favor, tag us on Facebook or on Twitter and send us pictures of you with your Seeing Red stickers. And uh, one other thing, I know that... Um, you know, decorum is dead in American society. When you write your email, please say, please send me some stickers. I'm getting emails that be like, yo, I want stickers. Just say, please. Manners go a long way. 
right? Here's Bob G. from New Jersey. Mark and Eric, who's more to blame for the Red Bulls' disappointing start this season? The players for not competing anywhere close to the level they did last year? Jesse Marsh for not anticipating the league would catch up and prepare for the high press? Or Ollie Curtis for not bringing any major players in the offseason? You know, first of all, I will say that Ollie... Uh, did bring in Gideon Ba in an effort to help shore up the loss of Matt Miazga. And it's very clear that the team is uh, definitely missing Matt Miazga, without a doubt. However, uh, given the injuries that the team suffered, I think we all have to give everyone a little bit of a break. But again, as we've said, Bradley has got to convert his chances. And yes, he's getting shots on goal. He's getting looks at goal. He is getting a lot of shots off. He just simply has to be sharper. Um, And the back has been a a mass unit. Mass was a show on television in the 70s and 80s. Beating yourself a little bit there, Mark. That's okay. I I can't help it, man. But, um, yeah, I mean, Jesse... You know, from a statistical standpoint, and we talked about this in the first segment, they are doing things that in general have worked. When you give up an early goal and the team then puts eight men in the box, you're not going to be successful. So that's my thoughts there. Uh, T. Faust, friend of the show, gents, there, as there's nothing to discuss regarding the first team, I thought I would inquire about the nearly forgotten Ryan Mara. It wasn't so long ago that Mara was arguably the best keeper in MLS in his rookie season. It was something magical to behold. Then Mara suffered a string of leg injuries and related complications. Uh, after a long rehab and a tour of duty with MC, FC, NYCFC, he is back in the fold with Red Bulls 2 and appears to be performing decently here, although he was injured in last week's Red Bulls 2 match, sadly. What does the future hold for this once great keeper who was still only 25? Is he close to regaining the great form of his rookie year? If not, can he get back there? Does he need to leave the Red Bulls to advance his career with Iron Man Robles in front of him? T. Faust. Thoughts on... Ryan Mara and uh, and a career that uh, has, frankly, kind of sputtered over the last few seasons. You know, far be it for me to, to call for a, a transfer or anything like that. Uh, but when you look at who is in front of him right now, Luis Robles just set the record for most starts consecutively. So it's going to be tough for anybody to really break into that lineup and usurp him there because he's just so consistent. Uh, when you talk about Ryan Mara, yes, he had that great... 2012 season under Hans Baca, he nearly won Rookie of the Year. I think he was probably on track, if not for that hip injury that really set him aside. Uh, then he had that lone stint with New York City FC. It didn't really pan out, didn't really get too many opportunities. He's looked pretty good with uh, New York Red Bulls, too. Uh, he's he's one of the, the more veteran guys on that team. I think getting some games under his belt in, in some meaningful action will do him some good. Uh, you know, maybe a loan opportunity. Who knows? That's that's a better question for Ali as to where he might end up. Yeah. I definitely think he still has a role to play, whether it be with the Red Bulls, with Red Bulls 2, or elsewhere. He's still a talented keeper. Uh, he's long, he's athletic, he can cover a lot of ground in, in the net. So he's he's definitely, uh, there's definitely a spot for him. I don't know where that is. I don't know how the Red Bulls will parlay that, whether they want to try to flip him around for some allocation money or loan him out and see if maybe they can use him down the line. But I, I definitely think he has a part to play. Yeah, and remember that New York is going to have a number of different opportunities this season, whether it's early Open Cup matches, whether it's CCL matches. There there will be opportunities with the first team this year, assuming that Luis doesn't put the hammer down and say, you know, those are mine. You know, get out of here, kid. But um, 
it's a shame he's playing a position that only one player can play. And as you said, uh, Eric, when you've got the all-time league Ironman in front of you, it makes it very difficult. Here's Matt Graham, who writes, In preseason, the whole organization was talking about winning MLS Cup. Since the start of the season, it seems like they're trying to pace themselves for the long season. I think they pace themselves too much. Has the team given up yet on trying to win MLS Cup in April and lowered the objective to just winning a regular season game here and there? That's Matt, who's Lapsu on Twitter. Um, certainly a tongue-in-cheek email for sure. Of course, of course, no team can win MLS Cup in April because that's not when they play it. From what I understand, uh, they play it much later in the year. Um, I think the team would very much like to win a regular season game here and there. Uh, yes, they are in it for the long haul, and let's 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 uh, face it, right? They've they've got to win five games in a row just to get back to 500. So um, they are playing in a very poor East. They can absolutely get their act in gear in short order. Um, after next week. They will have played, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. They'll have played half of the Western teams with 25 games left to go. So um, there are going to be a lot of points up for uh, grabs, a lot of six-pointers coming down the stretch. And I, I don't really know what more to say. They they, they just have to focus on one 15-minute uh, notion at a time, one half at a time, and just make sure they, they get out in front. Anything to add, Eric? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the, the Red Bulls in the 2016, maybe their uh, their title defense of the Supporters' Shield uh, might be out the window at this point when you look at just how poor of a start they've gotten off to. But at the same time, it's I understand this is tongue in cheek. Obviously, uh, just yes. Jesse didn't come up and, and tell me. You know, I think we're we're gonna pack it in this year. But um, <laughs> when when you look at the teams that have had success in the playoffs, it, it's not always the number one seeds. It's teams that, as we always talk about, get hot at the right time. So if the Red Bulls can right the ship early on and and go on a little bit of streak here and and be somewhere above the red line, it really doesn't matter too much where it is. We we talk about home field advantage. Is it more of an advantage to play the second leg at home when you consider away goals and how you know, the away team being away in the second leg might be more advantage. So just getting into the playoffs, just no matter how you do it, by hook or by crook, get into the playoffs and see what happens. It really is a, a kind of a lottery in some ways. So definitely uh, too early to, to to give up on the season. Yes, it's time to take pause and, and really try to reflect on where the season is going. But not not, a, not we're not going to throw in the towel just yet, I don't think. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Here's Chris Gloco, who writes, congrats on 250, gentlemen. Now allow me to armchair quarterback. The problem with the team, as I see it, is twofold. One, we've had terrible luck to start the season. Literally the worst luck I've seen in a long time. And in fact, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to step out of the email for a minute. Go find Ryan Tolmich's story on SoccerByIvis.com uh, about the Red Bulls and the perfect storm of things happening to them right now. It's a very well-written article. Two, the center back pool simply isn't going to cut it. Miazga and Paranel were a great team whose attributes allowed the entire defense to play a high line and move the ball forward quickly. Without their influence, our fullbacks are now further pinned back and our central mids are under more pressure to protect the back line. Additionally, having outside backs that can't bomb forward with reckless abandon like last year means the dynamism from our outside mids are also diminished. In my opinion, Marsh's system of high line, high press is incredibly reliant on outstanding 
center back play. Of course, unfortunately, we won't know if Paranel will ever return to his previous level. We still don't know what we have in Ba, and the other options simply aren't getting it done. Is the rest of the season dependent on Ali Curtis making a single high-profile move at center back? I think it just might be. Thanks all for your, for your hard work. Uh, there was another piece, I believe uh, Paul Tenorio was writing in 442, about possible center back trade bait for the Red Bull. So you should go to 442, which has really uh, stepped up their, um, their MLS coverage in 2016. And um, I, I might go check that story out. So that, that, that's terrific. But yeah, I mean, Jesse, when pressed, uh, made some sort of a statement about, you know, is it time to go look for help? And I think the answer was it, it, it may be. I mean, when you've got guys like four and Kamar Lawrence or Chris Duval wing defenders into the center of the, uh, of the field, you're, you're definitely talking about walking wounded and, um, and last-ditch uh, decisions uh, that you have to make because you've got to feel the full team. So the good news is that Ba is coming back. The good news, as we heard earlier, that Paranel is getting closer. So you know we'll certainly see, but it will be time soon enough. Uh, Eric, anything to add, Eric? Yeah, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility to expect reinforcements uh, in the center of the defense. Uh, when, when you look at the way this team was constructed last season, uh, a lot of it, I think, without people really taking too much uh, notice of it because the Red Bulls were the highest-scoring team in MLS, but Paranel and Miazga really did form a, a very solid uh, tandem in the center of the defense towards the end of the year. And obviously, Miazga leaving, we all knew about that. We all knew about uh, the ACL injury to, to Paranel and how that would keep him out for an extended period of time. But uh, I think we're seeing just now how important they were uh, with them being out of the lineup. Uh, you know, when, when you have uh, all of these injuries, it, it makes it a lot more difficult to kind of get a gauge of, of where you stand. Like, as, as you mentioned, we haven't really seen a whole lot of Gideon Ba yet. Uh, He's basically the mark he's signing for Ali Curtis this off season. So if he can come back and back and do a job, uh, I think that goes a long way. I think Carl we met still young, still has a, has a chance to to grow into his role as a as a center back. So I, I think there, there's a chance for them to to reclaim this and, and, and kind of get that defense back on track. Yeah, for sure. Last email of the week. Uh, Mike Laterman from excuse me, Mark Laterman from Livingston, New Jersey, which is right next door to where I am right now. With two more losses the last week, I feel even more heartbroken and dumbfounded than I was when I sent uh, an email earlier last week. I keep having flashbacks to the old years when we couldn't buy a win. Worse yet, we feel like we don't have a we don't have a single simple thing fixed that would change the results. Instead, right now it feels like the entire team is severely underperforming and playing uninspired. What's more confusing is this is almost the entirely exact same team that won the supporters' shield a few short months back. Any thoughts on a solution to spark the turnaround? I think, uh, Mark, this is the entire theme of our show tonight. What can be done to turn things around? I think it starts with healthy center backs uh, coming back and playing their natural position. It starts with Bradley putting the ball in the net. It starts with Lloyd Sam generating a chances, as we know he has done in the past. I haven't seen a whole lot from him. Um, so those are just a few solutions. And scoring the first goal, I think, will obviously be uh, a, a, make a massive impact on the, the team's ability to, to turn these, this stuff around. But again, uh, I get the sense, uh, season ticket holder since 2000, so uh, you know, perhaps you didn't sit through 99's worst team in the world uh, as um, 
Lothar Mateus quoted it, but you certainly sat through 2009 where the current men's national team coach of Mexico was at the helm of the Red Bulls and they were absolutely atrocious. So but as you said, the team is mostly, almost exclusively the same guys. They've just got to be able to put it together and make it work. Uh, that's everything we have for you tonight on Seeing Red. We're really, really glad you joined us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview with Alex Mule. We really enjoyed talking to him. He's a really interesting guy, and we uh, are certainly looking forward to seeing more from him. Uh, Sunday night, 7.30, Red Bull Arena. It should be a really nice night. We'd love you to come on out and support the team. If you haven't bought tickets again, use code WFL16 uh, for Wings for Life. And we're, we're getting um, toward the end of our run with Backheel.com, and if you're not familiar with Trevor Hayward and Backheel.com. He has been a big supporter of Seeing Red for many, many years back uh, with the old North American Soccer Network. He is uh, closing up shop, and we wish him best on his future endeavors. Um, Nothing will change for you as a listener to the show. As the calendar page turns from April to May, you will still be able to find the show at seeingredny.com on iTunes and at Stitcher. And uh, we appreciate if you've been listening to us on backheel.com. Find us there, and uh, this engine's going to keep on going. So Eric calls the game a 2-1 loss for New York. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going, I'm going hard on the reverse Using, thing, so let's, yeah, let's right. see if we can pull this one out. All right, and I'm going to call it a 2-2 draw. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and to Alex Mule for stopping by. As always, we'll be back next week with another edition of Seeing Red. Thank you, and good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Since 2010, your New York Red Bulls podcast. Find us at New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.